Well, good morning. It's good to be here this morning and worship with you. And I probably know more of the visitors than I know those that are from here. So, uh, but do know Dave and his family and <clears throat> actually would have met at Bible school. Uh, me and my wife were actually married when we went to Bible school. Uh, many people go to Bible school to see if they can get married. But uh, we, were, we were married and we, we enjoyed that as a couple. And, um, but anyways, Dave was there and his sister and a few others and learned to know them that way as well. But uh, just again, glad for this opportunity. Not so much that it's me up here. I would have been content to sit and listen uh, to Dave or someone else even. Um, <clears throat> but uh, Dave asked if I would share. And I guess yesterday we heard that that's one of the works of the gospel in a person's life is that when they are asked for the opportunity that they are willing to to do that, and so I want to be faithful in that this morning. <clears throat> Maybe a little bit to go along with Mark's question in our discussion in, in Sunday school this morning <clears throat> about how do we uh, maintain an open mind um, and yet not be deceived, not be... Um, in a, in a place where we shouldn't be. I guess I've been thinking recently about the times in which we're living in, and uh, interesting times. And um, we also discussed the idea of the next event. For the Christian, what is that? It might be... Um, that God is going to call one of us home, that might be the next event. But for the church, the next event might be that Christ is going to come back. And that's what he's <clears throat> promised that he would do when he left. Uh, the disciples were told that this same Jesus would return in like manner. But I've just been thinking about uh, where we find ourselves and and, and maybe as we think about interpreting the scripture um, in light of the culture that we live in, I'm thinking about America, but also maybe in light of the culture that we've been raised in, um, the church culture, the family culture uh, that we have, each of us individually, and that probably looks pretty different, at least in the family sense. Uh, we all have a a culture in a sense that we grew up in that has shaped us and molded us and causes us to think uh, maybe how we do. And then we've been part of a church and that church probably has also influenced us and uh, hopefully in a good way um, and yet to maintain that openness I think we see, um, I guess one of the things I'd like to at least establish here this morning is we think about the times in which we're living in. In one sense, maybe we look at it and we think that it's pretty bad. <clears throat> and in that sense, it is bad. And I had to 
think of the scriptures that we find in Isaiah chapter 5. And here Isaiah is pronouncing woe or judgment upon different um, things. And in verse 20, he says this, Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil. I've read those scriptures many times, and, and I just I couldn't hardly wrap my mind around that uh, concept that, that men would, would look at something that is evil and wrong, and that they would say it was good. And that they would look at something that was good, and they would say, it's evil. And yet, are we not there today? That put darkness for light and light for darkness. <clears throat> we talked about Christ being light, the fullest of light, light that we can't comprehend maybe, and yet man that would say that that light is actually darkness, and that the darkness which we think of as evil is actually light. That put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes, and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward, and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. That thought there in verse 23 has the idea of a person that is willing to justify wrong or wickedness because he's being paid to do so. That reward has the idea of a bribe. And so truly we see that as a picture of our day to day, do we not? <clears throat> Jesus also spoke about the end times and what it would look like in Matthew chapter 24. Just like to look at a couple verses there. Jesus uh, answering some questions of his disciples. They had, um, they were there at the temple and the disciples were, in a sense, admiring the temple and wanting Jesus to, to see it and, and uh, their response. And of course, we know Jesus' response to them. And so they asked the question, three questions actually, in relationship uh, to what Jesus had said would happen to the temple. They said, tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus said in verse 4, answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. Now, that was one of the things that was also mentioned, the, the deception that is prevalent in our day. <clears throat> it is all around us. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. How many situations do you know of where a man has lifted himself up to be something and has obtained a following? And you look at it and you say, well, how can a person follow someone like that? But it's happened throughout history where man has lifted themselves up and has drawn other men away. And ye shall hear in verse 6 of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, 
but the end is not yet. It's going to get worse. <clears throat> it's not going to get better. For nation, verse 7, shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because of iniquity, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, <clears throat> the same shall be saved. A pretty bleak picture. I guess I'm thinking about it this morning in the light of the gospel that is being preached in many places. I haven't heard it used this way for quite a while, but I remember back in the 90s and maybe in the early 2000s, the idea of the health and wealth and prosperity gospel. I haven't heard them terms specifically used recently, and yet I believe it is very much alive and well in our day. There is a cry among even churches today of, of getting back to the old ways, of trying to turn the nation around and, and to get us back to where we were. But Jesus is telling us that in the last days it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. <clears throat> we also see this in 1 Timothy Again, the idea of deception um, is interesting. We've just recently, in our uh, fellowship, went through First and Second Timothy and, and Titus in our openings uh, in the morning, Sunday mornings. And just the amount of emphasis that Paul places on false teachers that are already among them and that will be coming. And... Um, I think if we can think that it was bad then, I think that time is just making it worse in the area of deception. But in 1 Timothy chapter 4, <clears throat> Paul says this in verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing or deceiving spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience sheared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. The thought here this is in verse 1 that there are going to be those who are going to depart from the faith. They're going to believe the seducing or the deceiving spirits. The scripture tells us that we're supposed to try the spirits. Because there's a lot of different ones that are, that are out there. And we need to try them to see and to prove them to know that whether they are of God or whether they are of man. 
2 Timothy also gives us a little insight into the last days. <clears throat> Chapter 3, verse 1 says this, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. And I'd like us to think about the list here then in the context of one that loves himself. <clears throat> when the children of Israel uh, were going to enter into the promised land, God was very concerned that they would not be influenced by the gods of the people that were around about them. But I believe that one of the, the gods that, that we need to combat is that of self. The very beginning, Satan deceived or tempted Eve to believe that if she would eat of that fruit, she would be as God. <clears throat> That's very, very tempting to man, to our flesh, to our nature. And so this is a picture of one who is a lover of himself. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. And maybe the point that makes it so perilous is that they continue to profess a sense of, of belief, of, of they're still going to church, they're still saying the right things, they're still seeing heaven as, their, as, their, as theirs, and yet their life is not consistent with what God is calling us to as believers. <clears throat> and so we see that the last days are going to be perilous. They're going to be dangerous times. Jesus, in that passage that I read there in Matthew, said that you're going to be hated of all nations. Even in America, you're going to be hated. And we're seeing that beginning to shape itself in a way that maybe we couldn't have seen it even just 10 years ago. I would like us to think this morning that affluence has influence. <clears throat> we are living in unprecedented times in America. We have been living in unprecedented times in America as Christians. <clears throat> we have had in abundance in every way conceivable. We have been given, as Americans, personal rights, property rights, and all other kind of rights. And I think sometimes that we're, our interpretation, and maybe this is where it gets back to what Mark was trying to say, are we reading the scriptures through the eyes of our culture, what we've been raised up in, or are we reading it in a way that God can open our eyes to what he wants to show us, what he wants for us. How have I, how have you this morning been influenced by our culture? <clears throat> you know, it seems like the longer there's affluence and, and ease and so on, 
the more there is to stay true to what God would want for us. I can remember, I believe it was back in the 80s, when Romania, who had been under communist rule, gained its freedom, its independence. And suddenly, one day, man was free. But I remember reading, and I'm not sure if it was in Cam uh, uh, newsletters or, or where I, I heard it or read it, but the leaders, the pastors in Romania were, were, were asking that if that could come back, the, 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 the rule could be changed because they saw that it softened the commitment of the young people as they came to Christ. They were still making that decision, but there wasn't that commitment. There wasn't that uh, zeal because when they uh, were under the communist rule to become a believer meant it cost them something. And there's many today throughout the world to name the name of Jesus is very costly. <clears throat> and it is for us this morning as well. But I wonder if we don't miss it at times. <clears throat> God, I think, understood this idea of when man has all its needs met, that there's a tendency to forget God. Turn with me to this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 6. If I had a title for my message, it would be this, and when you are full. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 6. God was speaking to the children of Israel here and was um, encouraging them that they were going to uh, enter the promised land, a land that he had promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, their, their fathers, their forefathers. He promised them a land that would flow with milk and honey. It would be a bountiful land. It would be a fruitful land. And in chapter 6, in verse 10, it says, And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them these great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord." which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. In this setting, God is reminding them that you're going to enter a land and you're going to inherit a land that has houses, it has vineyards, it has wells, and you had nothing to do with it. You didn't dig them, you didn't plant them, you didn't build the houses. And he said, Beware, lest thou forget God. I think that we probably all know situations where uh, men have built businesses or even missions, have ha had a vision of, for a mission, and uh, you saw God prosper that and, and so on. And then that was passed to the next generation. And there wasn't that, that ethic there, that work ethic to continue and uh, businesses failed because uh, sons did not have that vision or, or passion. 
they had gotten it uh, in the easy way. They had not worked for it. And there's just that tendency within us, is it not? That when we haven't worked for something, it just doesn't have the same meaning to us as when we've worked for it. And so God is, is warning them. Then in chapter 8, he warns them, and this is a little bit different setting. It's after they've been there a while. And he says in verse 11 of chapter 8, he says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwell therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, that thine heart be lifted up. And thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness, wherein was fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. And so here this setting is that they did build. They did plant. They did dig. And when we have done that and you are full, beware lest you forget the Lord that brought you out of Egypt, out of bondage. <clears throat> I need to be reminded of what I've been brought out of. I think for the sake of time this morning, I was going to go through because I think sometimes we um, maybe are influenced, or I should say I am influenced more uh, in my thinking that I want to admit at times but in relationship to money and possessions, I guess, in, in specifically this morning. Um, <clears throat> but I, I guess I would just like to, I'm not going to turn to these passages, but just uh, think about them, consider them with me this morning. And there's many passages, many parables that Jesus spoke that relate to possessions and, and to wealth and to what God's view of that is and to what the world's view is. And I had to think of those, the verse in, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said that you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve me and also serve riches or money. I had to think of the parable of the sower, the one ground that it fell on. It said that, uh, um, I can't remember the world, but it has the idea of worldliness and materialism choking the word. Um, and it becomes unfruitful. I had to think of the, par the account of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, what good thing shall I do? We, we like that. If there's something good that we can do, um, we, we like that, don't we? And so he was coming, and, and he appears like he was a fine young man, and we probably would have all enjoyed having him a part of our, our church, and... and um, but, you know, Jesus said some hard things in his ministry, in his two people, 
And he said a hard thing to this rich young ruler. And uh, there was one thing he lacked. And I don't know that God is asking that all of us, maybe we don't all have that, that problem of, of uh, possessions that this rich young ruler did. But it does give us an insight into what God thinks about money and how we relate to it. I had to think of the account of the widow's offering that Jesus saw there when the wealthy men came and put in their offering out of their abundance. And Jesus told his disciples, he said, that what that woman, that widow, who probably was pretty needy and was struggling to have her needs met, he said that what she gave was far greater than what those men had given. Or I think of the rich young fool, or the rich fool that Jesus spoke of in Luke chapter 12. <clears throat> Jesus spoke of this rich fool in the context of somebody asking him to tell his brother to divide the inheritance. If you want to know where you're at, an inheritance is a good uh, barometer to gauge where you're at in relationship to possessions. Here was a young man that obviously had inheritance due him, and he wanted his brother to divide it with him correctly. And Jesus' response was, is, beware of covetousness. <clears throat> Life does not consist in what a man possesses. How have I been tainted in my thinking in relationship to that thought? This man was going to have a life of ease because he had planned ahead and he had worked it out so that at the end of his life he would have what he needed. Jesus called him a fool. Or what about the account in Acts when Peter and John were at the temple there and the man that was lame from birth there was um, asking for alms to be able to just care for and meet his basic needs. I wonder sometimes, I've been convicted by this, this thought, Peter's response, silver and gold have I none. You know, I find it easy to deal with a problem, take care of a situation with money. It's easy to do. But here was Peter and John, and Peter's testimony was that silver and gold, he didn't have the money to give this man, but he said, but such as I have, give I thee. <clears throat> what do I have to give this morning? <clears throat> or I had to think of the account in Acts chapter 8, Simon the sorcerer, got converted. I mean, that had to be a miraculous conversion. And yet, there was something not right there as well. And when he saw the apostles uh, laying on hands and people receiving the Holy Spirit, he, he, he desired that. He coveted that. And he offered money. He was told, thy money perish with thee. 
Jesus' message to the church at Laodicea in Revelations. <clears throat> I think I'm going to turn to that one. Maybe it could be to the church in America this morning. Revelations chapter 3. I'm not going to read the whole account, but he is challenging them about their works. They're neither hot nor cold, and he wishes that they were hot or cold, but because they were lukewarm, he was going to spew them out of his mouth. And then in verse 17, it says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. <clears throat> There's something about having enough, about being self-sufficient, uh, that we can take care of our own needs and our own selves. We don't need each other. We don't need God in, that, in the truest sense. And that's what God, Jesus is telling them here. You say that you're rich and increased with goods and that you don't have need of nothing. But this is my testimony. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And then he encourages them. I counsel thee in verse 18. Buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Is that my heart this morning that I feel that I'm rich? I've increased with goods. I, I don't have need of anything. And, and really, this morning, I do not have need of anything materially. I, I lack in nothing. <clears throat> but is that to my benefit or not? So as we think about that maybe it seems like it's a pretty negative or a maybe a, a, a um, maybe you feel like, um, well, how do, you, how, do you, how do you deal with that? You know, how do you deal with abundance and yet at the same time maintain a, a right heart, a right attitude towards God and, and be able to do what God is, is asking uh, of you? <clears throat> so how do we guard against forgetting God in times of plenty when we are fool? And when you are full, I had to think of the request that I think it was Agar in uh, Proverbs chapter 30 made. And I, I think that's probably a good foundation for us to consider this morning. Just got to read those couple verses there in Proverbs chapter 30. And he says, Two things in verse 7 have I required of thee, deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be fool and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and take the name of my God in vain. You know, it's like he understood that God knew what he needed. And he said, You provide what I need. And I'll be happy. I'll be satisfied. I'll be content. Don't make me rich because I know that when I'm rich, I, the, the possibility of forgetting you is real and increases. <clears throat> I think if you go back to that example in, in, uh, where Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler, he said that it was a, it, 
it was hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven and kind of took his disciples off guard a little bit and and uh, I think he illustrated it by it'd be easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. Well, a word picture like that, you can't, in our humanness, we can't, we can't wrap our minds around that. It's impossible. But then Jesus did say that, that with God, all things are possible. So it's not impossible, but it, it, it makes it a life that is harder to... Uh, do what is right when we are living in times of ease and plenty. But I think God gave the children of Israel back, so let's turn back to Deuteronomy. I think he gave them the answers to help them uh, not forget him in times of plenty. And uh, so we want to look at a couple of those here this, this morning. The first one that I'd like to think about is in chapter 6 there, and we uh, read there in verse 12, about uh, being aware lest we forget God. And then verse 13 says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. And so the first point that I have in not forgetting God in time of plenty when we are fool is to have a fear of the Lord. Now, I know that that is something that is not always looked upon very uh, kindly in our day, Um, the fear of the Lord, and yet to me, I think it's a, it's a necessity for us to, to have. And when I think of the fear of the Lord, it's not a, a cowering under or a, a fearful, uh, but it's, it's actually a, a reverence and, a, and an awe for who he is and to recognize what he has done for us. And it's, uh, I guess it goes along a little bit with what Brother Allen shared yesterday. You know, am I coming to the wedding feast with my own garment on, on my own terms, in my own way? Or am I coming to God on his terms and in what he is wanting and what he is requiring of me? And so how am I coming to the Lord? And so the first thing in maintaining a, a uh, right perspective of God when I'm full is having the fear of the Lord. A proper perspective of who God is. In verse 15, God talks about the fact that he is a jealous God. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. God is a jealous God. He is not wanting to uh, have us one foot over here and one foot in trying to please him. Jesus told us very clearly in the New Testament that we cannot serve God and mammon. It's not possible. Proverbs 1, verse 7, the first part of the verse says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus talked about fear. He talked about how that it's uh, easy for us to fear man. We fear what others think of us. We fear what others might do to us. We fear what... um, might be, and oftentimes is not. But God said, Jesus there said, don't fear man. The one that can destroy your soul, your body, he may be able to kill you and uh, destroy your body, but fear the Lord, the one who is able to not only destroy your body, but also has control of your destiny, your soul. And he can kill that as well. And so we want to have a proper fear, a proper perspective of God. 
In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, it talks about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. <clears throat> and it's not necessarily that we're working for our salvation, but salvation is a work. And again, how have we been influenced by our culture? We think of the sinner's prayer, say the sinner prayer, and we're, we're good to go. But it's much more than that. It requires much more than that. And we need to work it out with a fear and a trembling. <clears throat> Again, it's the idea of coming to God on his terms and not on our own. It's coming to him and saying, I've tried it on my own. It's not working. So I want to do it your way. <clears throat> There's other passages in the New Testament that talk about that as well. And for sake of time, I'll not... Uh, read them all, but uh, I think yesterday in uh, Brother Joel, in his verses that he read, I think he read verse 15 in 1 Peter 3 and verse 18, but verse uh, 15 talks about in giving that answer that we do it in a spirit of meekness and in fear, because it's not about us. It's about God. It's about what God wants to do. That's the message that we have. It's not about us. It's not about gaining a following for us, but it's about what God has done. And so when we, when we give that testimony, we do it in a spirit of meekness or humility and in a sense of awe of God and who he is. The second thing that uh, God told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy <clears throat> is he talked about the idea of being thankful. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10, it says, When thou hast eaten and art full, then shalt thou bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. And I'd like to think of that idea of blessing God, of having a, a grateful spirit, a, a, an attitude of thankfulness. <clears throat> Is that how I'm known this morning? That I'm a thankful person? Or do I complain and murmur? And God is very uh, offended. <laughs> I guess I'd just put it that way, when we complain and murmur. Because basically what we're saying is, is that, God, you don't understand. You don't understand what I need and what I, what I want. And uh, we want, again, to have God give us what we want on our terms instead of accepting what God has for us. Many passages that we could read about thanksgiving and having a thankful spirit. And as I was reading through them again this morning, I was just challenged as I read these words that the idea of always give thanks always in Ephesians 5 19 through 21 it talks about that to give thanks always for all things this morning Colossians also talks about in verses 15 through 17 being thankful and maintaining a, a thankful spirit in all things in 1 Thessalonians, it talks about in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. It's God's will that we are a thankful people. <clears throat> you know, God was close to destroying the children of Israel because of their murmurings and complainings. If it hadn't been for Moses interceding uh, for them, God would have destroyed them because of their murmuring and their complaining. What am I known as? A complainer or a thankful person? In everything, give thanks. It's God's will for his people to be thankful. The other thing I see that God showed the children of Israel is to see that all that they have comes from God. 
Deuteronomy chapter 8 again. This is just after he had told them about them building houses and, and uh, uh, their gold increasing and, and all those other things and their heart being lifted up in pride and saying that I have gotten these things by my power, by my might. And in verse 18 it says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. <clears throat> to recognize that God gives us the ability. I had to think of the, the tabernacle in, uh, when God was uh, asking Moses to tabernacle. And, and, you know, you think of all the different things and how they were supposed to make them, and yet God gave individuals insight to know how to do their part. To those that were willing, to those that were willing workers, God gave uh, them those abilities. <clears throat> Several years ago, we had a president that said something like this, you didn't build that. And oh my, what an outcry. You know, oh my goodness, what kind of a statement is that? And yet, you know, I think there's more truth to that than what I'm willing to admit. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 9 gives us <clears throat> some insight to this as well this morning. As we think about recognizing that it's not of our own abilities, it's not of what we have accomplished. But you know, we could have been born in Bangladesh this morning. We could have been born in Iran. We could have been born in North Korea. <clears throat> Verse 23 of Jeremiah 9 says, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which is exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Yesterday at the wedding we sang verse 3 of how deep the Father's love. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, <clears throat> no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Do you have anything to boast in this morning? Do I? Romans, in Romans 12, 3, Paul's talking about that we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. <clears throat> In Philippians chapter 4, um, several verses there that Paul, Paul's talking about the, um, the giving of the church to his, his needs there, and, and um, then he talked about several verses there. He says, we can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens us. You know, when we have Christ in our life, then we can do anything. Anything that he asks us, anything that he gives us. Later then, in that same chapter, chapter 4, verse 19, he says, God will supply all our needs according to his riches. God wants to supply our needs this morning. He wants us to be dependent upon him. He wants us to know that there's no good thing that comes from what we do of ourselves. I think in John chapter 15, he talked about being connected to the vine. Unless you are connected, you can do nothing. Whatever we do outside of Christ has no value, lasting value. May I have the perspective of Job in relationship to being full this morning. We all know the story. Very wealthy man had all the things that probably life could afford at that time in, in history. And we know the encounter that Satan had with God and that God spoke highly of, of Job, and we know all that happened. And so after all of these calamities, boom, 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 one after the other, just, I mean, just enough to wipe any man off their feet and destroy them. This was Job's testimony. It says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. Thither the Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job sinned not, nor charged God. That's a powerful testimony. From a man who had just basically lost all of his possessions. Not only materially, but his own children. And yet, it says that he did not... uh, charge God foolishly. He blessed the name of the Lord. He recognized that he came into this world with nothing, and that's how he was going to leave. Or maybe it's the perspective that Paul gives to Timothy in the sense of contentment. Paul's life, he had said he had learned to be content in whatever state he was, whether he was, uh, had plenty or whether he was abased and, and was hungry. Um, and then in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, this, um, he uses these words. Chapter uh, 6, verse 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. And he's talking about false prophets, false teachers before that, and how that they, um, what they think of as gain, what is gain. But Paul's saying, but true uh, gain is godliness with contentment. Verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Maybe that was the heart of Agar there in, in Proverbs, where he didn't want to be poor, that he had to steal and, and dishonor God. But he didn't want to be rich either, because he knew that it could be a snare to him and to his life. To learn to be content with food and raiment, the basic needs of life. I think Paul's life was a shining testimony of that, and even Job's testimony as well. So where are you at this morning? Where am I at this morning? 
in relationship to being full. I think we probably would all have to admit that we're full this morning. <clears throat> Where am I at with God? Jesus, back in the Sermon on the Mount, talked about after he said that you cannot serve God and mammon, he told us to not take thought or not to worry, not to be consumed with those things of what we're going to eat and what we're going to drink and what we're going to put on. And then he illustrates how that he takes care of, of uh, the creation and nature itself and how that he's aware of every sparrow that falls and that he can number the very heads of your, of your head. <clears throat> he said, take no thought then later in that, that uh, chapter there. He says, for after all of these things do the Gentiles seek. Our culture, the world around us are pursuing those things. They're consumed with that. They're obsessed with that. God says, I don't want you to be obsessed with that. Paul gave Timothy a charge to give to those that were rich. So that's to me this morning. I don't know all of you, but I would say that we would all fit that this morning. Charge them that are rich in this world. Command them that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. You know, that, it, just, it is just that way that when we, when we have an abundance, we just have to really guard against being high-minded or to not trust in those things that we have. To have an open hand with what God has given to us. But rather that we would give, who, who give us of all things richly to enjoy. That's kind of the contradiction there that it's not that we can't enjoy some good things in life. But I think probably where we get into trouble is when it becomes an expectation that somehow we're owed this. God, we deserve this for some, for some reason. But then he goes on and says, so they, this is what you should be doing, what I should be doing, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. We can, in our abundance, in being full, we can be what God wants us to be. And that's my desire for my own self this morning and also for each one of you, that each of us would be what God wants us to be, even in this time that we find ourselves of being full. May God bless you.